It's Thursday, June 6th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Today, we're diving into the commemoration of D-Day. World leaders were on the beaches of Normandy to honor the men who served so bravely during World War II. We'll tell you what this day means for America's relationships with its friends across the pond. Then, 2020 Democratic candidates are fighting over the Hyde Amendment. We'll explain why it's so controversial. And finally, how one American athlete is making history on the tennis court. Love, love. We're here to make your Thursday smarter. Let's skim this. Today's episode is brought to you by Sunbasket. The most complicated story today is about D-Day and how it solidified a bond between the U.S. and our allies in Europe, which is now starting to break. That's a Scottish bagpiper playing a folk hymn early this morning in Normandy, France. To mark exactly 75 years since the Allied forces, the UK, Canada, France, and the US, invaded the beaches of Normandy. The beginning of the end of World War II. That Scottish folk tune marked the start of a day full of commemorative ceremonies. President Trump was there, together with outgoing UK Prime Minister Theresa May, and French President Emmanuel Macron. Dozens of World War II survivors traveled to mark the occasion. They're in their 90s, so it could be the last of these events they ever attend. Today's ceremonies are not just important as a day to remember. They're also a reminder of just how different things are now, 75 years later. D-Day helped solidify the bond between the U.S. and the U.K., and the U.S. and France and the rest of Europe. But today, things between the U.S. and Europe are beyond strained. That's what we're going to talk about today. So, D-Day was the largest ever military operation by land, air, and sea. More than 150,000 troops from the U.S., the U.K., France, and Canada were trying to force the Nazis out of France. Thousands lost their lives. But the operation started the liberation of France from the Nazis and ultimately led to the Nazis surrendering. And that led to a total redesign of global politics. By the end of the war, Europe was in shambles and was facing a growing threat from the communist Soviet Union. That's when the European Union was first formed, to create a strong, prosperous, and peaceful continent. But Europe still needed help, and the U.S. had the purse strings. And so, U.K. Prime Minister Winston Churchill started massaging that relationship, on behalf of the U.K., but also Europe. Churchill warned that the Soviet Union's Iron Curtain was now threatening Europe. And he said the U.S. and the U.K. have a special relationship. The U.S. heard that and agreed to pitch in. They cut a $12 billion check to help rebuild Europe. It was called the Marshall Plan. And around the same time, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization was formed, NATO, which ensured that Europe would continue to have backup from the U.S. One of its pillars, An attack against one is an attack against all. This morning, French President Emmanuel Macron, in a speech at the American Cemetery in Normandy, thanked the Americans and talked about the importance of these alliances to this day. France wishes to continue to support this promise of Normandy, understand its purpose, This is what we owe, what we owe to our homeland, what we owe to countries that share the same values, what we owe to democracy and liberty. Sitting behind him was President Trump. In his remarks, 
he also acknowledged the work of other allied countries on D-Day. Then he shifted to praising the Americans for defending freedom. More powerful than the strength of American arms was the strength of American hearts. These men ran through the fires of hell, moved by a force no weapon could destroy, the fierce patriotism of a free, proud, and sovereign people. People are talking about these speeches today in part because the relationship between the U.S. and Europe that formed in the wake of D-Day has become complicated. President Macron is becoming kind of the de facto representative of the EU. And he's been disappointed with the U.S. for pulling out of a couple of big deals negotiated under the Obama administration. Like the Paris Climate Accords, which held U.N. members accountable for combating climate change. And the Iran nuclear deal, which Macron says was helping maintain peace in the Middle East. Trump has said both are bad deals for the U.S. And he's been frustrated with NATO over, what else? Money. Each member is supposed to spend 2% of its own defense budget to be good and strong so that they can help each other out at a moment's notice. The U.S. has been meeting this obligation, meaning it's spending 2% of its GDP on national defense. But many other countries haven't, including wealthy ones like Germany. At the same time, a number of so-called Euroskeptics, people who think the European Union isn't all that, have just been elected to the European Parliament. So these groups that were formed in the direct wake of World War II appear to be starting to crumble from the inside. But today, after the speeches, President Macron and President Trump held a joint press conference and assured everyone that everything between them is Trayvon. The relationship between you and I and also France and the United States has been outstanding. I don't think it's ever been maybe as good. So what's the skim? Reporters are super interested in Trump and Macron's relationship because things between the U.S. and the EU and NATO have been on shaky ground. And Macron's kind of becoming their point person. That said, they do appear to be trying to make things better. The EU has a plan to shore up its defense systems, but the U.S. doesn't like that plan. The Trump administration says it leaves the U.S. out of the loop too much, and officials warn it could actually undermine NATO. So this is a 75-plus-year relationship that still needs some work. Coming up, 2020 Democrat candidates are fighting over the Hyde Amendment. We'll explain why next. Planning meals is time-consuming, but Sunbasket makes it easy and convenient to cook healthy meals at home. Everything is pre-measured and easy to prep, and you can get a delicious meal on the table in as little as 15 minutes. It's everything you need to eat clean and feel great, delivered straight to your door. Go to sunbasket.com slash skim this to get up to $80 off. Visit sunbasket.com slash skim this to learn more about this limited time $80 off offer. The buzz phrase making its rounds today is the Hyde Amendment. That's because Joe Biden's presidential campaign said yesterday that he still supports it, which is a pretty controversial position for a Dem because it's about abortion. If you're scratching your head wondering what that means, we've got you. First, what is the Hyde Amendment? It's named after the late Republican Congressman Henry Hyde. It bars the federal government from funding most abortions. That means government health care programs like Medicaid don't cover them, which is especially important for low-income people. 
Hyde Amendment language has been tacked onto spending packages since it was introduced in 1976. So when Congress votes to fund different parts of the government, there's a strong possibility that they're agreeing that none of the money in those budgets can be used for abortions. In 2016, the Democratic Party put repealing the Hyde Amendment on the party platform for the first time. So why is it being talked about right now? Two reasons. Last month, Biden was asked about it on the campaign trail. An ACLU volunteer asked if he would commit to abolishing the Hyde Amendment. He said, yes. Right now, it it has to be, it can't stay. Then yesterday, his campaign said, oops, that he misheard her and that Biden actually supports the Hyde Amendment, meaning he doesn't think government health care programs like Medicaid should cover abortions. Other Democrats don't agree. There were lots of tweets yesterday opposing Biden's stance and calling to repeal the law. They said that reproductive rights are human rights and point to the fact that the Hyde Amendment disproportionately affects poor women and women of color. Here's Elizabeth Warren in an MSNBC town hall last night. We do not pass laws that take away that freedom from the women who are most vulnerable. But like we said, government spending bills often include the same language as the Hyde Amendment. It was in one of the major spending bills last year, and Warren voted for that bill twice. So did fellow Democratic presidential candidates Cory Booker, Kirsten Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, Beto O'Rourke, and more. Bernie Sanders voted against it. But there's another reason people are talking about it today. The Biden's campaign statement came on the same day that the Trump administration announced it would stop giving federal money to scientists who do research using fetal tissue from abortions. They use it to study diseases like HIV and cancer. Anti-abortion activists are cheering the move, but to be clear, money that goes to funding research does not pay for abortions. So the Trump administration's change won't have an impact on the number of people getting abortions at all. It may have an impact on research for those diseases, though. But multiple states are passing restrictive abortion laws with an eye toward the Supreme Court. So abortion rights will continue to be a hot topic on the 2020 campaign trail. You know Venus and Serena Williams, Maria Sharapova, Naomi Osaka, but there's a new name in tennis to keep an eye on, Amanda Anasimova. She's heading to the semifinals of the French Open after beating the defending champ in straight sets earlier today, and she's only 17. That makes her the youngest female semifinalist since 2006, and the youngest American woman to make the semis since 1990. And if you've got doubts that she'll make it any further, she's not bothered by it. Here she is on the Tennis Channel after her win. I mean, I don't really feel pressure. I only feel pressure if I put it on myself. But honestly, the only thing that motivates me is when people don't believe in me. So that like kind of drives me. So that's the only thing I really care about is when people think that like I wouldn't win today or something like that. So I want to prove people wrong. Anna Samova is set to take on the number eight ranked player, Ashley Barty, tomorrow morning. The French Open finals are this weekend. And speaking of weekend, before we go today, we've got a fun fact coming to you from your dream work schedule, aka the four-day work week. Some companies in the UK are already doing it. The idea is that employees are more productive in a condensed work week and also have a better work-life balance. Win-win. 
It turns out that politicians across the pond are pretty interested in the short week, long weekend thing. The British Labour Party is looking into it. The Scottish National Party has been debating it. And over in the Netherlands, it's already pretty much the norm. They have the world's shortest work week, just 29 hours. And big surprise, a new study finds that three out of four British workers support it. Yeah, we're right there with you. Happy almost Friday. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks for listening. For more Skim, you can check out our premium content, like our deep dive on the 75th anniversary of D-Day by downloading the Skim app. And to sign up for our free morning newsletter, head over to theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox. And don't worry, we'll be back here tomorrow. So don't forget to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. 